1: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on LinkedIn.com/people today. Have a listen to this. Have a listen to this.
0: Now that kind of talk this week dragged Australia's share market to this a two-year low. There who are of course conflicts with He was the big, big spender. Right. The big spender doing Mr. the grocery 28. shopping can take a huge chunk yeah. out of the family budget. And that's finance. Hello and welcome to Comedian vs. Economist. We demystify the world of money and help you get a handle on the bigger picture. My name's Adam and we're joined, as always, by my little older brother and real-life economist, Thomas. Hi, Thomas. Yeah, good,
1: Adam. How are you doing? First week of lockdown, how's that going?
0: First week of lockdown. tell you what, between work from home and homeschooling, the only break I get all day is the three hours I spend on the toilet. Uh, it's tough, <laughs> I've got to be honest with you. But, you know, I'm doing it because I think it's the right thing to do. I want to set a good example for my kids. You know, I just want them to remember that, that their, their dad did everything that was asked of me. I got vaccinated, I stayed home, took care of things. Um, I figure that that's the better option rather than going out and punching a horse in the face. So, you know, I guess history will judge me. <laughs> Maybe the horse had it coming. I don't know. Maybe it was talking some smack that wasn't reported in the mainstream press. But either way, hey. I'm at peace with my decision to stay home and not punch the horse. Horses are a bit lippy. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, it's, uh, hopefully by the time you're listening to this podcast, we will be out of lockdown in Adelaide. Signs are looking good. Touch wood, fingers crossed. And uh, shout outs to everyone out there who's doing it tough uh, in lockdown around the country. It is um, It is no fun at all. Um, but just keep uh, keep doing what we can, I guess. Thomas, we've heard the term, I've heard the term at least this week, they're talking a double-dip recession. Before we crack on with the show, can you tell me what a double-dip recession is all about? Uh,
1: yeah, it's where we, where we go back for a second bite of the cherry with a recession. So remember we had a recession last year, recession being two negative quarters of growth. The March and June quarters last year came in as, in as negatives. We're pretty much guaranteed a negative result in September now. So, CBA and Westpac both came out with some analysis this week saying they're looking for negative 0.7 to negative 1% in the September quarter of this year. And they expect it'll bounce back in the December quarter, but it all hinges on getting on top of the Delta strain and uh, getting the economy up and going again. And so so if we miss that in the December quarter, if the if the current lockdowns drag on, then we get a second quarter in December and that puts us back in a recession and then you get a double dip recession.
0: All right. Well, we've got a lot to get through today, Thomas. And today we are going to be asking you, why are ANZ buying their own shares? What's that all about? Mm. Why isn't JobKeeper 2.0 happening? And Thomas, we used to fight for the right to party. Now we're fighting for the right to repair our phones. It would seem. But first, Brisbane has won the right to host the Olympics in 2032. Woohoo! I want to know what does that mean for our economy?
1: Yes, yeah, so it's 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 hard to know. So the Queensland Premier is out, you know, selling the benefits. Obviously, she reckons it's going to generate 7.4 billion dollars worth of economic activity and create 120,000 jobs. Sounds good? Sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, but those figures are a little a little rubbery. And, it, and none of it none oh, of right. it comes directly out of the the Olympics. You, you know there's only one Olympic Games that has ever turned a profit. Really? Yeah,
0: any idea? Sydney. No, nah, no. Nah. It was good. It was a good Olympics. It was a good <laughs> best ever I think at the time. <laughs> <laughs> really? Um, oh, I, don't, I probably don't know enough of... I can think back to Atlanta. What was that, oh, 96?
1: Okay. Uh, no, no. It was close. Close. Not Atlanta. It was uh, LA. LA in 84. Oh. First one to turn a profit. And the reason they did that is because they had their, they kept their costs down because actually, at the time, no one else wanted to host it. They'd ha- it'd come in the middle of a whole bunch of negative experiences. It was like terrorism in Munich and then massive cost overruns in montreal and then the moscow olympics uh, olympics was full of boycotts so no one really wanted to do it and then la stuck their hand up and said look we'll do it but as long as we don't have to build anything new for it
0: they did a bradbury before bradbury <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah only anyway, one yeah so they,
1: yeah they said we, we, we'll use all our inf- existing infrastructure so we're going to keep spend to a minimum and we'll, we'll mm. do you a solid and put on the olympics for you
0: Right, and they turned a profit.
1: And turned a profit. Because the business model for the Olympics, the direct business model is they sell television rights. Right. And you, if you sell the television rights for more than you cut the cost of putting on the games and you can turn a profit. But there's only one mm-hmm. Olympic games in history that's ever done that.
0: Right. I heard the I heard the television rights through 7 Plus this year through the roof.
1: Yeah. Massive. Booming. Biggest streaming event in Australian history apparently.
0: Yeah, amazing. I mean, it helps that half the country's in lockdown and every child's home from school with nothing to do. It's like, here, I've been doing that with my kids this week. I'm like, come on, just get into the Olympics. We're waving flags and trying to to get them in. And there's still sports that don't belong in the Olympics, obviously. Tennis. Why is tennis there? (laughs) It's like, it's not even the fifth best competition this year. (laughs) (laughs) They've introduced golf for reasons no one will ever understand. It's supposed to be like amateur sport, kind of, you know, the, the soccer's okay. We've got the under-23s or whatever, but it's a bit of a mishmash of sports now, isn't it? Which I guess they have to try and keep adding and changing and keep up with the times. They've
1: yeah, got to stay relevant and, yeah, I, I wonder if... I, yeah, I think they've got to sort of...
0: We've got two kinds of basketball, Thomas. <laughs> <laughs> We've got basketball and then, like, smaller basketball. Three-on-three. Three-on-three. Something rather. But- other. It's, what's going on? Street ball,
1: yeah. yeah. I mean, they're trying to reinvent themselves. They reinvented the bidding process. They've reinvented like their philosophy of like, so gone the days of like big flashy bids and awarding it to the city mm. that was going to spend the best money. And, and I think they're realizing that, that that was just creating a string of disasters. Like Montreal right. in 1976, they didn't, they didn't repay the debt that they took on to pay for that Olympics until 1996. So like over 20 yeah, years wow. it took to pay back the debt and like it's a huge cost around in Tokyo. Tokyo initially they were forecasting it was going to cost 4 billion. It's now going to come in at 28 hmm. billion. Whoops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bit of a myth.
0: Right. So what it what does all this mean for Brisbane and Queensland?
1: Well, they're saying they're going to they're going to try and Stick with the existing infrastructure, so that's a good thing,
0: right? Because they built a bunch for the um, for the Commonwealth Games.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're going to are going to leverage off a lot of that stuff.
0: Okay, so all the all the sporting infrastructure is there.
1: Yeah, yeah. They're
0: gonna, and they're going to build other build other infrastructure.
1: Yeah, that, that, that's what they're talking about revamping. it. I mean, that's the the, fun, the funny thing. ABC had the story that this all came out of a push from the mayors of Queen, uh, Brisbane, so or, uh, Brisbane and surrounds, all the mayors got to get together and have a meeting, and they were worried about how we're going to build the train lines that you know, re- rebuild them. They, they, were, they were built in 1890 and haven't been upgraded since. And right. they got together and said, probably the only way we can make this happen is if we have an Olympics, and then we'll have to upgrade all the infrastructure. Boom. So they started they started a push for Brisbane to host the Olympics, and then here we are. Here we are, but with no promise that they will actually upgrade the train lines or anything. So there's you know money for infrastructure. But this is this is sort of also the point. Like the Olympics can can be an impetus for a whole bunch of infrastructure, but you can just build infrastructure anytime you want. You know, yeah, yeah particularly now with like interest rates where they are, like the cost of you know, state governments going into debt is is
0: almost negligible. So there's no excuse not to... And money printing going on. Like, we just print some more money if we want to build some infrastructure, don't we? Isn't that the pl- current plan? Yeah, 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 exactly, exactly.
1: So there's nothing, there's nothing stopping Brisbane upgrading its rail infrastructure. It's more that the, that the Olympics gives it the political excuse, and that sort of... That's, that's the sort of playbook. But yeah, but when you right. talk about this like $7 billion worth of economic activity generated, there's a whole bunch of assumptions and multipliers and putting Brisbane on the map and all this sort of stuff. But mm. the economics, you know, the data on it is pretty wishy-washy. Like the Sydney Olympics, they, they, they said that it reduced Australian household consumption by $2.1 billion and failed to increase employment or, meaning, or meaningfully boost tourism. So the right. Sydney Olympics had almost had no positive economic impact. And then when the Gold Coast, the Gold Coast Commonwealth Games, they found that you sort of displace. You have tourists come in, but they displace all the locals and they leave. And so, like, if you're a business serv- servicing locals, you, you see a massive hit to your revenues. And the right. sports tourists have a different sort of consumption profile. Like, they're not buying sort of basic clothes and stuff or takeaway coffees. They're
0: just drinking beers.
1: Drinking beers and... You know, buying hats or whatever. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
0: in fairness, those hat shops have suffered for a long time and come to the Commonwealth Games, they they made made hay, don't you worry about that. Right. So and the T V rights I mean you don't know what they're gonna be worth in two
1: thousand and thirty two. No, uh, yeah, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, like I uh, like I'm surprised that they've done so well. But as you're saying it's it's obviously influenced by COVID going on.
0: So. Mm. Oh maybe by two thousand and thirty two we'll just be all, all can't get enough handball. <laughs> People will just be like, footy will be forgotten, AFL will be forgotten about, there be no NRL, it'll just be like the country will just be absorbed by handball. <laughs> um, maybe some dressage. <laughs> I do like the Olympics, you should, should point out, but... But I, I just, It's just like once every well, five years, as it were, <laughs> once every four years, you kind of tune into a bunch of sports you haven't seen in a while and realize that there's a reason you probably don't watch those sports very often. But mm. I still enjoy it. All right. So that's the Olympics. What's going on over at ANZ? So they're talking about a share buyback. What's, what's a share buyback?
1: Well, it says on the box, really. So they're, they're going to buy back $1.5 billion worth of their own shares. Going to do that on... Who from? Uh, from the market. They're doing They're doing that on market. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, they're sitting on a, a stack of cash right now. So in fact, all the banks are. There's a, yeah, got a huge bunch of excess reserves. So, the banks have to have a bunch, a certain amount of what they call res- uh, capital, like reserve capital. Mm. Tier one, they call it. Like So, APRA requires them to have sort of some some cash that's bank- that's backing up all the loans and everything.
0: Where do they keep it? <laughs> <laughs>
1: Crypto mostly, I think. In
0: the bank. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so they, they they've got to keep okay, got to keep some capital on hand. Keep some capital, but they've got
1: A have seven billion more than they need. Oh, yeah, I hate that problem. <laughs> That's
0: the worst. When you yeah, when you accidentally end up with seven billion dollars more, <laughs> more than you meant to have. Yeah, yeah. So they got they got a bit extra. have got a bit extra coin floating around. Mm-hmm. And kind of the thing with share
1: buybacks is. What what do you do with that money when you have that money? It's, it's sort of interesting. Like it, it happened in the US uh, after the GFC, so the G, after the GFC went into quantitative easing and money printing there in a big way, and a lot of companies ended up with a lot of money on on hand. Uh, interest rates were super cheap, so debt was super cheap. Yeah, share, share buybacks were rife. They're happening sort of all over the place. But so the SEC the SEC got a bit worried about it and started looking at it and sort of said. Can we have a look at this? Because the incentives don't seem to line up super well because the CEOs, since from the 80s onwards, were given um, shares in the companies that they were running and that was seen Mm. as a way to align their incentives. But what happens when you buy back shares, you're decreasing the supply of shares on the market and the supply and demand says that that pushes up the price. Yeah. So you often see a a pop in the share price after a, a buyback announcement but if you're the CEO of the company and you're making that decision if you get that pop you mm. you can you can capitalize on it. and what what the SEC found was that that's what CEOs were doing they were selling five times as much of their shares as they would on any other any other normal day sort of after an after an announcement they would sell a lot of their shares and then get rewarded with more shares <laughs> so yeah so the SEC was like the alignment seemed a little bit off here and and also remember that the a lot of CEOs have got their performance based on earnings per share. Like That's a common measure in the markets and seen as a pretty good right. indicator of how a company's tracking. But if the CEO is measured on that and you're just reducing the number of shares and the earning per share, earning per share ratio, because it's a ratio, it goes up, even if nothing's happening to earnings. If you reduce the number of shares on offer, then that increases the, e- the EPS. You can even have the situation where earnings is falling, but if the number of shares is falling faster, then you still get a bump in EPS.
0: Yeah, wow. That's, that seems like a sweet little sweet little gig they're on to. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Out, it's your point. It's not just A&Z. I think uh- – there was something in the news today about CBA, was looking at it as well.
1: Yeah, they've been talking about it for a while and they, and they, and most people think the CBA is going to do about 5 billion so ANC is doing 1.5 CBA's is on track to do 5, so pretty substantial. Right.
0: Is it just the banks or is it, are there other companies? Well, not yet,
1: and and I think we're going to I think I wonder if this might start the the floodgates opening over the next few years and we might see a bit more of this mm. this going on. Because there is so, just so much money in the system right now. And we, we saw a lot of it in America after the GFC and after the money printing that happened there. We've just started money printing here in Australia. So I, I do wonder if this might be the, the beginning of the flood,
0: so to speak. Interesting. All right, why don't we pause there? or will grab a quick break from one of our sponsors and be back with more Comedian versus Economist right after this. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're
1: looking in the wrong place.
0: Welcome back here on Comedian versus Economist. Don't forget you can always send us an email, cve at equitymates.com, or head over to the website, equitymates.com forward slash CVE, or by all means, go and check us out on Facebook and Instagram at CVE podcast. Thomas. Mm. JobKeeper was hailed a massive success, fair to say, during the pandemic, especially um, last year in 2020. Mm. Turns out maybe it wasn't all roses and sunshine, though. What's going on?
1: Yeah, some some data this week from the Independent Parliamentary Budget Office, they're looking at sort of the aggregate numbers, found that about $12.5 billion of, of the $90 so about 14%, uh, went to companies who didn't suffer any downturn in their revenue
0: oh. in,
1: the, in the specified period. So companies that didn't deserve the money, basically.
0: Well, how did they get it? Oh, they just, just asked nicely. Asked nicely. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Filled out the right forms.
0: I mean, it was, done in a, it was done in a, dare I say, a bit of a hurry. I mean, it was sort of cobbled together. Mm-hmm. There's probably always a chance someone was going to get some of it that maybe didn't need it. Yeah. But that seems a lot. It's,
1: it's pretty substantial. And, I mean, it was sort of based on forecast earnings as well. So mm. you, you could just say, we think we're going to lose some revenue. And it was like, if, if you're earning over a billion dollars revenue, kind of, if you're, you know, extremely large company, then mm. you had to show a 50% reduction in revenue. And if you're less than a billion, it's 30%.
0: Right.
1: So you just had something, I think it was as simple as companies forecasting a 30% decline in revenue. Yeah, okay. And then for some of those, that just didn't happen. And for a lot of companies, I've done a lot better.
0: Yeah, right. There was one here in Adelaide, actually, there was a school, I reckon. It was a mm. private, private college somewhere. They... They reported an operating surplus of seventeen point five million for 2020, which was up from about five million the previous year. Wow! And would you believe they got 12 million in jobkeeper subsidies? <laughs> you um, so you do the maths.
1: <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a lot of these stories, of like the, the Australian Golf Club which is literally its name, the Australian Golf Club in Sydney. It's the oldest go- mm. golf club in the country. Yeah, that that is showing that they 1.5 million of jobkeeper, even though their profits went up and their revenue was steady. Mm. And the the CEO got a pay increase from six hundred and eighteen thousand to six hundred and thirty five thousand, with all this sort of job keeper money coming in. But the, the the point is that they're sort of picking up these these institutions like the private schools and the golf clubs and these sort of things to kind of amplify the the fact that it's sort of not fair that sort of the top mm. end of town is getting getting this free money and not being asked to pay any of it back.
0: You were you were a bit of a you were an expert at this back in the day, if I if I remember rightly. Thomas, we, I remember Mum would give you like rotting Yeah, give you like five dollars to go and buy bread and milk. <laughs> you were the expert at returning with the bread and milk and no change. Uh, we're forecasting that bread and milk will be three dollars sixty. If you just give me five, then I'll I'll get you some bread and milk. <laughs> I
1: had some problems on the supply chain. It's cost <laughs> pressures. It's a dynamic business environment I was operating in. <laughs>
0: See, me, I'd go and get the bread and milk and I'd give the change back to mum and then I'd go to my room and eat the chocolate bar that I stole while I was at the there. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that just sums up
1: the difference between white and blue-collar crime right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, i just incriminated myself.
1: But yeah, it was a, 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 part of the problem is we never had a public register. So the UK, New Zealand, and the US had had wage subsidies schemes. I thought
0: you were talking about at our house.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, no. In all in, all, in, all, in the Anglo everyone had a public register, so you, it's publicly available. What companies got what? Mm. Um, so you can kind of check that. We don't have that in Australia. So the the PBOS just published sort of like an aggregate data where they've gone through and looked at it, but they haven't they haven't named and shamed mm. uh, any of the companies. So if, if some of the publicly listed companies, we know this. So you, where the records are available, people are digging it out. But there's a lot there that we don't know.
0: Yeah, and it should. I mean, it's, we should point out that overall, it was really successful, right? Like it mm. saved mm. a lot of people, saved a lot of a lot of jobs. It did what it was meant to do. Mm, it's just mm. that maybe some people held on to it that didn't need it.
1: Yeah, but I think that's right. Like, it was an emergency measure. I think it was good for the times. Mm. But I think now it's it's biting us in the bum now because we can't – I think there's a real reluctance to in, implement a JobKeeper 2.0 because of these problems and because, yeah, it it just wasn't designed well to sort of avoid this kind of rorting. Mm. Um, so you either need to, like, totally overhaul it or – Yeah, I don't know. So, I think that's why there's a lot of pushback on on any talk of a JobKeeper Mm. 2.0. I
0: I wanted to bring some balance to the story though, Thomas. So, uh, I went to uh, the Communist Party of China's flagship media platform, TikTok, and I found this guy (laughs) (laughs) who reckons the government is asking him for his COVID money back. Okay, I'm not sure if this happened to anyone else, but literally just after New South Wales said that they were going to have like some sort of coronavirus support package for people that aren't able to work. I got a letter from Centrelink saying that I'm now classed as ineligible for the coronavirus support package I received in 2020, and now they're asking me to pay all of it back. Like, you can't just... It's a welfare payment. You can't just ask people to pay it back to you when you change your mind. Like, what the hell? What the hell, Thomas? Double
1: standards, eh? Double standards. (laughs) 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 <laughs> it's tough, but,
0: but part, part of
1: this is I mean part of it is double standards but part of it is that you know it, just because Centrelink and, and the welfare payment system is established and it has all these checks and balances and has all these systems mm. for making sure that money's going where it needs to be going and not going where it's not meant to be going and that sounds like well, this guy sort of got caught up in that but I think it's, it's, it's still a reasonable point if it's like we're not asking you know the, the Australian golf club and the private schools to pay the money back why are we asking you know old mate here to pay the money back
0: Mm. yeah he's where i go to for all my watch keep a uh, social welfare information. That's uh, if, you want, if you want to get straight to the straight to the source. Mm. All right. So finally, I wanted to talk about uh, the right to repair. So there's a big movement that that's getting a, a fair bit of traction now. And I saw an article today in the Sydney Morning Herald that was talking about having a, a rating system similar to like the the Energy Star rating system about how repairable. Your mm. device is mm. Um, mm. what's what's happening with the with the right to repair movement. You know, right
1: to repair movement. Yeah, it, it is a movement. It's, it's particularly pushing back against some consumer electronics, but it's also tractors. John Deere got sort of caught up in it with their, mm. their tractors. But sort of the argument is that that these companies are deliberately making it hard, if not impossible, to repair your devices or get your de- devices repaired outside of the the company ecosystems. Um, and that's, that's pushing up pushing up the costs of, you know, makes it expensive to repair almost to the point where it's easier just to throw it away and mm. um, buy a new device. So that's sort of – they're doing that deliberately to sort of create more demand for their products, even though that's creating a lot of e-waste in the process. And so the right-to-repair movement's trying to sort of counter that, what they see as that problem, and make it easier for people to get their own devices repaired.
0: I get it, but I also think – we're also saying to companies, I want you to make it faster. I want you to make it smaller. I want like, you know, like, like an earbud or some of those like AirPods. You know, that thing weighs four grams. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I want that and I want it to be just living in my ear. I want the battery to last four weeks. And, I'm, you know, we're talking like nanotechnology going on. <laughs> what I can't fix it myself (laughs) using my using my $14 Bunnings screwdriver set that I got this is an outrage it seems like there's a a kind of a I don't know there's a conflict there somewhere like I get it I get the e-waste problem um but at the same time technology is all is sort of focused on you know making Mm -hmm. things smaller and better you know like I stopped thinking and started letting Apple make decisions for me when they took the floppy drive out of my computer (laughs) i remember when that happened apple was like seriously you don't need it and people were seriously outraged <laughs> they, were like, <laughs> they were like you can't take a floppy drive out this is ridiculous this is insanity
1: people yeah people trying to open up put one back in
0: immediately you could buy external ones and plug them in <laughs> so yeah i get it like you know yeah i understand the e-waste point of view I'm just not sure about the expectation that we should be able to fix them ourselves. Is that is that mm. the expectation, or is it more about you know licensed repair shops and stuff like that?
1: I think yeah, I think it's a bit of both. I think it's probably more licensed repair shops. I mean, with John Deere and tractors, for example, you know, it's kind of farmers are a bit like, what do you mean I can't fix my own machines, or I'm not I'm not even allowed to try and fix my own machines, or it voids yeah, the warranties, true. and they're a bit like. I've been fixing everything on here for fifty years. What do you mean I can't fix my tractor? <laughs> Don't tell
0: me I can't fix my tractor. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and and, it, and it's sort of like it's essential to the business. They can't like you know the nearest repair shop might be a hundred clicks away. Or so,
0: but again, they're, they're, I, I haven't kept up with tractor technology, mm. but. I imagine if it's anything like car technology, they're probably way more advanced than they've ever been. Like I imagine Mm. they're running off a computer now. So if there's this kind of this, you know, what used to be a mainframe just sitting inside your tractor that's that's calculating the height and the, I don't know, whatever Mm. other things tractors do. You know, like I, I don't know. I, I get it if you can't buy a spare part, like you can't mm. buy a new wheel or something for your tractor.
1: I think I think that's sort of where the rating system is going. So mm. it's it's not a question of yes no, can you repair this device? Is it how the repairable is it? So like right. with an iPhone, like yep. maybe it's reasonable to replace a screen, but it's not reasonable to sort of resolder the the main board or whatever so
0: <laughs> listen to us talking about things we really clearly don't know about well if you want to replace the wheel on your tractor <laughs> yeah that's right if yeah, you rules. want to solder the board on your phone <laughs> but like I yeah I, I, had,
1: a, I had a battery I wouldn't need to replace a battery in a laptop on a, on a Mac and then I got old mate around the corner who repairs Macs out of his shed Mm. Strictly not licensed. No. Um, I got a new battery, which I thought was, you know, I felt like this is that's a feels like it's pretty simple repair. I should be able to do that. Mm. But then my laptop caught fire. <laughs> <laughs> I literally put it in my backpack, rode right around to my friend's house, and she's like, "Are you on fire?" I'm like, "What?" And I open up my backpack, and there's all this smoke comes out. Then the yeah, totally melted.
0: How did the how did the warranty claim go <laughs> with the guy around the corner? <laughs>
1: He said, Oh, that's never happened before.
0: You need to talk to our warranty department. (laughs) They're just over there. (laughs) See ya! Oh, uh, right. Well, the Productivity Commission's got a draft report, I believe. So, we'll uh, we'll wait with bated mm, breath for mm. the final report. Um, the draft was 384 pages. So, yeah, if, if anyone someone wants to, read to read that, re- yeah. send us an email. <laughs> 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 Brief summary, no more than half a page. Uh, CVE at equitymates.com. Would be much appreciated. But that's it from us for now. Uh, thanks once again for tuning in. We really appreciate it. We will see you next time on Comedian vs. Economist.
1: Comedian vs. Economist is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Comedian vs. Economist are not financial professionals and are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equity Mates Media and the hosts of Comedian Verse Economist acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to their elders, past and present, and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.